Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world. Produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across this continent via the Community Radio Network. I'm Tisha Nahern. Coal-fired power stations emit toxic chemicals and particulates that are highly damaging to human health. And our governments, both state and federal, are failing to protect us. This is revealed in a new report by Environmental Justice Australia. It's called Toxic and Terminal, and it highlights how governments and their regulators are failing the public by allowing coal-fired power stations to emit pollutants at levels much higher than other industrialised countries, such as the United States, China and the EU. Bronya Lipsky is a lawyer with Environmental Justice Australia, and she's a co-author of the report. So Environmental Justice Australia has been looking at air pollution for some time and we turned our attention to air pollution from coal-fired power stations late last year and started a, an inquiry into you know, what, what air pollution is coming out of power stations um, and what are the regulations and the potential regulatory failings around them. So we mined all the data that, that was publicly available. We've had a look at all the licences um, for 10 power stations along the east coast of Australia. We chose those power stations based on the amount of power that they generate, the amount of toxins that they spew out every year and their proximity to population bases. So we had to launch some freedom of information requests as well to try and obtain the information that we needed to get an overall picture of what's being emitted from power stations, how that's regulated, who sets those emission standards, and the health impacts of those pollutants, on, particularly on the communities that live close to those power stations. So what is being emitted by these coal-fired power stations that you profiled along the East Coast? What we found is there are over 30 different types of toxic substances coming out of these power stations, and they range from carbon monoxide to lead to mercury to the four toxins that we concentrated on, sulphur dioxide, nitrogen dioxide, PM10 and PM2.5 particles. So they're the really tiny particles that can be drawn deep into the lungs and into the bloodstream and cause the most adverse health impacts on on communities. So one of the key and quite uh, shocking findings in your report, there's a few that really stood out to me. So one being that Australia's regulatory framework for for regulating emissions from coal-fired power stations seems to be very lax. It's very lax in that it seems that the generators are allowed to uh, emit pollutants which are at a much higher level than than many other countries, including the United States, yeah. EU countries and China, and then the actual regulation by, by our regulators, so that's the EPAs in each state, seems to be lax or, or really failing. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. So each power station has a, has, a, has a license that sets the amount of emissions that it is allowed to emit every year or in hourly or 24-hourly rates. So the, the licenses themselves are, they, as you said, they are, they are issued by the Environment Protection Authorities. In Queensland, it's the Department of Environment and Heritage Protection. And those, what we, one of the things that we found that we 
that we were quite shocked about was the difference between the amount that Australian power stations are allowed to emit in the different jurisdictions when you compare them with the amount that governments have set as allowable in the EU, the United States and in China. So in Victoria, for instance, the licences don't have any limit for mercury. Um, and when you compare that with with New South Wales, there are mercury limits that are set in there, but those mercury limits and can be significantly higher than what's allowed in those other countries. So in one case, we found that one of the power stations in New South Wales emits 666 times more mercury than what is allowed in the United States, which is quite extraordinary, <laughs> considering that, you know, we've had a, con- a an international convention on, on mercury for a couple of years now, and, and, you know, Australia is a signatory to that. It's only now that v- the Victorian EPA, as a result of of the report that we've just released has said, you know, we're going to start setting limits emissions um, for mercury in in the power station licences. But you've got to wonder if 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 three other jurisdictions in the world have set very stringent conditions around the amount of emissions that power stations are are allowed to pump into the atmosphere. Why is Australia hanging on to this idea that the emission standards that they're setting is acceptable? Because those standards don't have anything to do to ref- to protect human health. When other countries, including the World Health Organization, has said, you know, there's there's no safe exposure to, to toxins such as PM2.5, and Australia keeps saying, oh, no, 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 it's okay. Our emissions are... are they they the amount that's emitted into the atmosphere every year is well well below the standards that we've set, and that's totally acceptable. Actually, it's not. I don't think it is. So you've highlighted there the really alarming state of affairs in terms of the emissions from our coal-fired power stations here in Australia, and and just how out of step with with international practice. But the other thing that you, that is highlighted in this report, which was quite alarming, I found, was then, so we've got a really uh, lax level of, of standards, mm. but then how are those standards are actually being regulated and enforced by the relevant states? Yep, sure. That seems to be a big problem. Yeah, so, you know, so long as those licence emissions aren't breached, there's the, the EPAs don't take any kind of action. So what we found is that in the last... 10 years, there hasn't been any prosecutions for any um, pollution events from any of the power stations. And this is despite the fact that in New South Wales, there was a couple of power stations that consistently emitted more than what their licences allowed them to emit. Um, and the EPA has, has either given them a little bit of a slap on the wrist or hasn't taken any kind of action at all. In Victoria, we found out that the Yulon power station was issued three pollution abatement notices by the EPA, and one of those pollution abatement notices shows how a, a representative from Energy Australia, Yulon, told an EPA rep that at times of high particle emissions, where they're you know potentially emitting more than what their license allows, they quote unquote simplify their reporting to make sure that it's in line with their license and what their licenses they can emit. And the EPA, rather than taking any kind of enforcement action, what they decided to do was ask the the power station to release a report saying how they would better calculate and measure their their emissions rather than investigating whether there had been an actual breach of that licence condition. And I don't think that's acceptable. I don't think that the Latrobe Valley community should accept that kind of response from the EPA and as the as the chief enforcer of our pollution law and the chief, you know, supposed protector of our environment, why are they not taking far more stringent action 
when it's very clearly a problem. So then that seems to raise two issues here, one which is about the power that the EPA in the different states has at their disposal and then also how they're exercising or not exercising that, those powers. So in, in this report, what, what is the view being put forward in terms of how the EPAs or the, the state governments are regulating or not regulating these power stations and what's being proposed in this report that they should be doing? We've made eight recommendations in our report and they sort of range from, you know, the EPAs need to take far more stronger action on on monitoring and enforcing the law. Um, one of the best ways to get around that is to, is for continuous stack monitoring. So if you put a monitor on the top of the stack and it's reading exactly what's coming out of there, then you know exactly what's coming out of there and then you can determine whether or not licences are being breached. The other thing is that there are pollution reduction technologies available to power stations to significantly reduce the amount of pollution they're pumping into the atmosphere. And these are technologies that have been around for a very, very long time and they're utilised overseas. So things like what they call wet scrubbers, which can reduce up to 99% of sulphur dioxide emissions from stacks, um, are available. Like if you put those into power stations, then you're significantly reducing the amount of sulphur dioxide that people are exposed to every year. And we're talking about hundreds of millions of kilograms of sulphur dioxide being you know, spewed into the Latrobe Valley atmosphere or into the Hunter and Central Coast atmospheres and in Queensland. So... There are other pollution reduction technologies and, and that can be installed and the EPA, at least in Victoria and in the other jurisdictions, has the power to enforce those power stations to put those technologies in, into their machines and to, to curtail the amount of um, emissions going into the atmosphere every year. That is something that people should, I think, especially if you're living close by, especially if you've got young children or if you're elderly or if you've got a history of respiratory problems, um, start looking into you know how to get those kinds of technologies into the power stations and lobbying for it, I think is really, really important. So this report, it's uh, titled Toxic and Terminal. Let's talk about that and in terms of the recommendations that are being made in this report. One of the, the most important recommendations I think that we make is that um, these, the governments look at getting those pollution reduction technologies installed in the power stations. They are, they are available. They've been available for a very long time and it's really time that the, the power stations start sort of taking on that, that the, the pollution, far more of the pollution burden that they're taking on at the moment. So getting those pollution reduction technologies installed. Hand in hand with that is is developing and, and implementing a, a national load-based licensing scheme. So it's it's a stronger polluter pays based on the polluter pays principle so that those power stations, depending on the amount of that they're emitting, pay for that. And they, they take on that, that financial burden because the communities have taken on that health burden for such a really long time. So that the federal government starts to implement um, a, a, a load-based licensing scheme that's that's rolled out across across the country would be excellent. We don't want any more coal-fired power stations built. And if they're going to be built, that they have those pollution reduction technologies installed in them. So in the Latrobe Valley, as, as an example again, there are groups that have... The, the Committee for Gippsland has teamed up with the Minerals Council of Australia to start to advocate for a new high-efficiency, low-emissions power station or an ultra-supercritical power station because they've got all the coal down there and, you know, coal equals jobs in the valley and that's how it's been for nearly 100 years. 
what's interesting about all the the material that the the, the Committee for Gippsland and the Minerals Council of Australia pump out in their advocacy is that they, they don't talk about, they haven't factored the cost of pollution reduction technologies into these machines. So they talk about it being cost effective. But when you start to look at how much it's going to cost, then the price of building one of these power stations rises significantly. But that's that's a cost of business. That should be a cost of business. We're talking about air pollution costs about $2.6 billion every year, on, which works essentially like a subsidy to those heavy polluters because they're not paying for that cost. So why are they not factoring in the cost of, of pollution reduction technologies into their new power stations, considering the amount of initiatives that have been made in the Latrobe Valley since the Hazelwood Mine Fire and, and helping people with their health. Why, I think it's a bit, little bit negligible of the Minerals Council and the Committee for Gippsland to not be advocating for these pollution reduction technologies. So yes, one of the, there's the sort of long story to, you know, what, part of the why we shouldn't be building more of them. We also are advocating for one of the, well, the recommendation that we're making is do a national audit and assessment of how much it's going to cost to decommission power stations and what are the financial risks and environmental risks to the communities. So there's been a lot of developments in Victoria, for instance, around mine rehabilitation. There's also always a lot of talk about mine rehabilitation. And one of the things our report looks at is the problem around decommissioning and the fact that there are no financial assurances and there are no bonds for the decommissioning process of power stations, which is in direct contrast to the way that mines are treated, for instance. Bronya Lipsky from Environmental Justice Australia. You're listening to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories on the Community Radio Network. And we're talking about the health effects of air pollution from coal-fired power stations. Dr Ben Ewald is a GP and a senior lecturer at the University of Newcastle. He explains to us how pollution from coal-fired power stations affects the body. We know from the science that's been conducted in, in many countries around the world that there is a health burden from exposure to both particles in the air and some of the irritating gases like sulphur dioxide and nitrogen dioxide. So, yeah, those pollutions are emitted in, in large volume by coal-fired power stations and uh, where I live in Newcastle we have a few of those so there's two up the Hunter Valley about 80 k's away and there's another two in Lake Macquarie maybe 30 k's away so the pollutants from those plants travel long distances and I'm sure that the people in Newcastle here are exposed to those. So let's then talk particularly about some of the health effects. What are some of the other diseases that are caused by pollution from coal-fired power stations? Well we know that that asthma is triggered by sulphur dioxide. That's a very irritating gas that's uh, emitted from the, from the chimneys when coal is burnt. Um, there's also health problems that come from exposure to fine particle pollution, and that's either particles that come directly out of the chimney uh, when coal is burnt, or some particles are, are released as coal is sort of mined and transported. And then there are also secondary particles that form in the atmosphere. So while the, what's going up the smokestack uh, includes a lot of sulphur dioxide, which is a gas, once it's in the atmosphere, that converts into sulphate particles, uh, which form part of the burden of, of the fine particles known as PM2.5. So this has been studied in Sydney, where about 
20% of the fine particle pollution has been traced back to sulphate particles that come from one of the five coal-fired power stations in New South Wales, even though those power stations are you know, 60 or 90 or 150 kilometres away from Sydney, the pollution is still blowing back to the, um, to the you know, large population in Sydney. So that's some of the diseases that we can see presenting in, in people. What about on a physiological level? So we've talked about the, the particulate, the, the pollution that comes out of these power stations. It's both uh, fine and, and coarse particulate as well as the sulphur dioxide. So when that's entering the human body, what's going on on a physiological level that's actually causing those health, those health problems? Well, particles enter into the lungs and, and where they end up depends a bit on their size. And that's really why we talk about particles so much sort of categorised by their size groups. Uh, the larger particles land in the bigger airways, so in the nose and throat and then in the bronchi, and are more associated with lung disease. And especially in children, it's associated with restricted lung growth. So it's been shown that children in places where the air is full of particles don't have as good lung function as children living elsewhere. So the finer particles reach right to the end of the respiratory system, to the little air sacs where gas exchange to the blood happens. And those, the really fine particles, can cross over into the bloodstream. And there they have a, a, a pro-inflammatory effect. So they cause a low-grade systemic inflammation, and that worsens heart disease and, and blood vessel disease. So things like heart attacks and strokes are more common in places where people are exposed to these fine particle pollution. The effects of power station pollution on human health has been known by governments and the public for a long time. Mike Campbell lives on the New South Wales Central Coast. He's a long-time community campaigner and headed up a successful campaign against the building of new coal-fired power stations in the mid-1980s. I asked Mike how his community won the campaign and what it means to still be fighting coal today. It was right back in 1980s, 1980s early, and the Electricity Commission New South Wales was planning to build two new coal-fired power stations on the coast here, Central Coast New South Wales. Uh, and uh, they're already operating uh, Munmore and Lake uh, uh, Vales Point at that stage. There were two in the area. And uh, because I was the uh, president of the Ratepayers Association, I knew that the people at uh, an area called Lake Munmora had been concerned for some time about asthma in their children and they'd been complaining for quite some time. So in my research uh, to try and uh, put up some uh, opposition to the to the planning of these new power stations on the coast, I'd, I'd found a document at Newcastle University from three professors who uh, said at that stage that uh, the air quality, particularly sulphur dioxide, was at critical levels uh, in an area between the two power stations, which was right near Munmora itself. And I thought, I twigged to this, and I thought, right, OK, it's, uh, they're saying that the levels are critical and that, that no more sulphur dioxide-emitting industries should be placed in the, in the region. So then we chased up uh, the doctors in the area who had confirmed what the uh, people had said from, from the area, that their children suffer from asthma. And I approached the doctors and, and had a brief talk with them. And they, they, they put on paper on, on, in, a, in a small uh, statement that the, uh, the asthma was twice the national average in children 
and bronchitis was well over the top for the national average in older people, and their belief was it came from the power station sources. So what we had in our hand uh, was a, 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 a professorial document by, uh, that suggesting that the, uh, the air pollution was at high levels. And then, of course, we had the resultant document from the doctors who were saying, yes, so this is the result. So this was quite explosive at the time. So we took this to the commission, uh, which we had initiated, in fact, we had initiated by our, our opposition to what was going on in the, in the secretive planning on the coast here. We were fortunate enough to trigger, by various means, that's another story in itself, a commission of uh, inquiry into uh, planning for electricity generation in New South Wales. When we presented this, this is 1985, we presented this to the Commission. Well, the Commission stopped. It literally stopped them in their tracks. And, and, and what happened was that um, uh, that the, 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 these were well-advanced, uh, you know, plans. Uh, they, had a, they had a shop front. They had table models. They had the, the media and all this sort of thing about this new, new power station and the second one as well. And that's what happened. So we stopped them in their tracks. Uh, the Commission eventually found that they should not be built on the coast. In fact... What had happened with the Commission was that uh, they opened it up to submissions from all over Australia. You know, Professor Sol Ensel and, uh, and there's Mark Diesendorf and uh, Harry Messerl and people from all over Australia, every state, put in submissions about, this is 1985, about alternative ways of generation, co-generation, early forms of solar. There was uh, d- different ways of creating electricity and all these scientific people came forward with documentation. And so what had happened is it, uh, it, drove that, uh, it drove them into a corner. But, of course, what happens when you work with governments in, in this area? Uh, governments never admit to anything. So the, the paperwork doesn't show that these two power stations here were knocked back because of the air quality in the area, because they were probably feared litigation on a large scale. So, so the paperwork shows that they, that, 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 that they decided to build only well, half a power station in the next 30 years rather than four or something like that, but that, that, that no more would be built on the coast. And then what happened, we, we, this was proven that, that this was the reason why they were knocked back, because about 12 months later, they spent $121 million of state government money upgrading Munmora power station, including fabric filters. And they advertised this in the paper, saying we are giving up smoking. So, so we knew we knew what had happened because when this hit the press in 1985, we went all over Australia. As a matter of fact, it'd be on the front page of the Age, and the date was the 30th of October, 1985. It went viral. It was on the front page of every every uh, state newspaper uh, around Australia and on the television. Uh, this link between asthma, bronchitis, and power station outfalls. So what we've come to at this point, 30 years later, is nothing uh, because the, con- the, the continuing governments have just stuck it in the, in the closet. Quite remarkable there, Mike. You talk yep. about what was, what was a, a highly successful, highly, highly successful community campaign that you're involved in. Yes. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Can I read you? I mean, you have the report for your, for your listeners. Mm, please. I can, I can, yeah. We have a list here that James Whelan and others have done in, in Environmental Justice Australia telling people what comes out of these power stations. Now, these figures I'm telling you are from the National Pollution Inventory. 
the power stations, coal mines and all other industries must, by legislation, put in each year a national pollution inventory of their exiting uh, pollution from their sites. Now, if you put your lawn, uh, uh, AGL's Luyang A and Luyang B together, in one year, this is, uh, for instance, in the year 2014, 2015, in 12 months, they produce 14,000 tonnes of carbon monoxide. There are 15,000 tonnes of hydrochloric acid. There are even 800 kilograms of, uh, of mercury and other such things. 52,000 tonnes of oxygen of nitrogen, 12,000 tonnes of particulate matter, that's PM10 and 2.5. Sulphur dioxide, 110,000 tonnes. This is pouring out of your lawn, AG, uh, so Luyang A and Luyang B. 100,000 tonnes of sulphur dioxide, 80 tonnes of sulphuric acid, 600 tonnes of uh, volatile uh, uh, organic compounds. Now, you know, there's a total of 200,000 tonnes of material emanates from these stations. Uh, the, the problem that we have in these areas, and, and, and yours is the same as ours, is that it's absorbed in the communities. It has to go somewhere. The, the environment, the community has to have it. And this is the end result of the long coal chain. You know, the other thing when people talk about these new critical power stations they want to build in Australia, you know, this silly um, uh, Turnbull idea of saying we can build a supercritical power station. What, that achieves 40%, which is the current Japanese high mark for efficiency? So here they are trying to sell us a new technology based on an old technology that, that that's peak efficiency is 40% to 45% of the outside. But it's what pours out into the community anyway. They'll never get over this. If they want to build more power stations, they're going to have to deal with these toxins which the community and the environment absorbs. Anybody lifting, living within 50 kilometres of a power station is going to be absorbing this. This report, uh, a toxic and terminal, that EGA have just produced, should go a long way to that. It should pull in a lot of agencies to say, hey, hey, hey hang on, guys. You know, these power stations are on the way out. Let's, let's, let's dismiss them as quick as we can and, and bring in the, the, the new alternative technologies, such as what's happening in South Australia. Mike Campbell, just one of the many community activists, profiled in a new report from Environmental Justice Australia. It's titled Toxic and Terminal, and it shows how government failure in regulating coal-fired power stations is affecting human health and the environment. You've been listening to Earth Matters, Community Radio's National Environmental Justice Program. I'm Tisha Nahern. If you missed any of today's show, you can find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. On Wurundjeri Country. You can contact us on 03 9419 8377 via email at earthmatters3cr at or on our Facebook page. I hope you can tune in next week for more Earth Matters. You've just been listening to a podcast produced at 3CR Community Radio. 
In 2017, 3CR is Radio for Change and we need your support to continue to be an independent, radical voice promoting social and political justice and change. We're asking you, our listeners, to donate to the station and keep us going. This year we need to make $220,000 to keep the station on air, so any amount you can afford makes a big difference. So call us on 039419 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for supporting Community Radio.